and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. We just came back from New York City, and we thought, what better way to end season three than to bring you into a little podcast New York City journey with us? We had such an amazing time on our trip to New York City. Uh, We did so much in three days. We saw four shows, Mm -hmm. which we'll tell you all about. Four shows in three days (gasps) is a lot. And that's not even counting all of the tourist stuff we did. So we thought we would share some of the stagey things we did when we were in New York City with all of you. Let's go in order. What do you think of the shows we saw? Does that feel good for you? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay. So, on our first night when we arrived, we saw Wicked Wicked. on Broadway. (laughs) Now, I have seen Wicked. This was my fourth time seeing Wicked, but it was my first time seeing Wicked at the Gershwin Theater, which Mm. has been on my theater bucket list probably for about 10 years. There really is nothing like seeing Wicked at the Gershwin Theater. It feels like coming home to me, and I think that's why I was like... Let's do Wicked on our first night there because, you know, we haven't been to New York since pre-pandemic and it really was like a homecoming. It really did feel like I was welcomed back into the Gershwin. I had seen the show. uh, This was my eighth or ninth time seeing Wicked, but I had seen it at the Gershwin around four times, I think, four or five. And it just never gets old. It always feels so special. But this was like a very special cast for both of us. They were so fresh, so into it. And I feel like we saw more into the story than ever before, if that makes sense. What I really loved about this cast, so we had Brittany Johnson as Glinda and Talia as Elphaba and James Gish as Fiero. Mm -hmm. What was really awesome is that all three of them were just totally well balanced. Like, I feel like a lot of times the focus is on finding an Elphaba and a Glinda that are equally good to like balance each other out. Um, that sometimes the Fiero can fall a little flat, but he was just as good. Oh, yeah. Um, as the two ladies. And like, even like uh, Bach and Nessa Rose, Mike and Michaela, I think her name is, they were also just really, really good. The caliber of performers were Incredible. just insane. Mm hmm. We also had Kevin Massey understudying as the wizard who was phenomenal and uh, brought such a unique fresh take to the wizard as well that I hadn't seen before. They were all just like he was so like fresh. delightfully slimy. Yes, exactly. I really liked it. No complaints, just praise. They were all so great. And we also sat in the third row, third row. Uh, in the partial view seats and those are my favorite seats when you've seen Wicked a few times because you kind of get to see how everything works at the show when you have that side stage seat and I as someone who loves like the ins and out of Broadway I like seeing how things work so if you are like that as well and I I don't think it takes away from the magic if anything it kind of adds to it because you're like wow This show is a freaking machine. They put so much work into it to make it happen every single performance, and they just always nail it. So 
Yeah. You see, cool. I would have liked to be a little further back and more centered because sure. the way that the set is built and it how it comes out of the proscenium and into the audience, mm-hmm. I would have liked to be for, have been a little further back so I would have been able to see that. I mean, the way it's set up with the clock of the time dragon yes. moving. And I forgot to mention to this to, to Chrissy, but I remember it now. This is the thing I didn't want to forget. <laughs> but if you've read the Wicked book, the clock of the time dragon is the little thing that opens up and it puts on a play right kind of thing so that's the whole joke with Mm -hmm. the set piece and having the clock of the time dragon is that you are sitting and watching it being put on by this machine and the way that it lights up and with the smoke like we were under it so when you tilted your head up you could watch it but I would have liked to be a little further back to like fully appreciate the mechanics of that Mm. and um I didn't know the monkeys were going to fly over my head. Yeah. And I think had we been a, a, a couple rows back, we would have been able to kind of like actually They would have been over your head. That. Yeah. So around eight rows back, that's where you get the monkeys flying over your head in act two, which is terrifying, <laughs> but really cool. I keep coming back to cast, but Brittany Johnson oh, as Glinda was- Magical. Magical. She- treated that role like a marathon yes like every little piece of it was well prepped well thought Mm. out well planned well measured like every second she was on stage had intention and it was just really really masterful especially being that close you get to see all of her expressions and all of her reactions to everything happening I thought that was really cool because like if you have poor vision like me you might not catch that few rows back yeah and you talk about I think we talk about use of breath in singing a lot Mm. but like it's equally important in acting and that was something I noticed a lot in scene work where she would pause Mm -hmm. and breathe or even when she was reacting to other people like it was just you guys got to go see her before she leaves in February she was uh it was such a treat. I think Talia is leaving in March now or something like that yeah Yeah, so Talia just has this like raw angsty alphabet energy oh my gosh and that as long as you're mine scene was so sexy like oh my god it was hot oh my god I wasn't I was not prepared for that usually I'm just like oh cute they're singing to each other but it was so feverish and sexy and you could feel that they really had that want for each other I loved it chemistry was I was like they're gonna have to change the rating of this show (laughs) but like shout out to Steven Swartz and Winnie Holtzman who when writing Wicked were like we're gonna put in a whole scene and song Mm -hmm. where Elphaba and Fierro do it in the woods right I guess if you've read the book you wouldn't be super shocked because there is quite a lot of stuff graphic Mm. stuff in there but like they were like you know what this makes the cut they're gonna hook up in the woods and we're gonna write a song about it totally one of the most romantic romantic love songs on Broadway I think as long as you're mine yeah so Wicked 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 10. incredible great cast go catch them before they leave what else did we see the next night we saw we saw Almost Famous the next night and if you've been listening to us for the past two years you know we've been dying to see this show and it certainly did not disappoint this was another one that we had partial view front row tickets to and oh my god like you feel 
like you are in a concert from the moment you walk in to the Jacobs Theater. Their pre-show playlist mm-hmm. is awesome. They're playing also, all 70s. It's amazing. For partial view, like we had a much better view than we did at Wicked. Like I we didn't did. feel like we missed anything. You just had to like tilt your head up. Yeah. So the way that the show works is they have a lot of moments that are also on the sides of the stage. Which worked out great for us. There was a moment, I think we, you must have caught it too. Casey Likes is trying to hang up the phone and it wouldn't hang up. <laughs> it was kind of like a blackout moment, but we both started giggling. We could see him kind of giggle as well. So when you're front row, you catch a lot of stuff. And that's also us saying like, yeah, we were front row, but we were front row because they are the cheapest seats in the houses. Yeah, we got a really good deal. Yeah. also, Broadway bucket list, front seat at a Broadway show. Check. And for a show that feels like a rock concert, like, that's kind of where you want to be. Yeah. Well, exactly that. Because they come right out at you. And you really do feel like you are seeing a rock band at a rock concert venue and not a Broadway theater. They really turn that place into what feels like going to see, like, the Rolling Stones type of feel. It is so 70s-esque and just magical in the sense that if you want it to experience living in the 70s type of thing, go and see Almost Famous. But what I loved about it was that while it had these elements of being totally like transportative, like you mm. felt like you were in like the 70s, you felt like you're in a rock concert, like it still felt like a Broadway musical. Absolutely. I feel like sometimes shows that take like that rock angle don't have that. So I think that that's such a credit to Cameron Crowe and of course Tom Kitt, who is Broadway royalty for a reason. (laughs) He wrote a score that really combined um, all the best elements of the decade, the 70s, but also uh, brought in a modern Broadway sound. Like the opening number sounds 70s-ish, but it also is, like, it's a classic Broadway opening number. It felt very um, 13 the musical, that opening number, like the picture me, just another cool kid in NYC. Like, it had that vibe of, like, here's my story, this is what's happening, here's my family, and this is what I want, you know? And that's cool. like, and then you have the opening to the second act. There's a number which I believe is called Rock Stars Have Kidnapped My Son. Yeah. So the opening number is called Stick Around, which was very cool because uh, it's not actually like an opening number. It's kind of like the intermission break before the show starts up and they're all just having a little jam session and then starts what is sort of more like the act two opener. Rock stars have kidnapped my son. That song that is witty, modern broad, modern contempt Broadway sound. Mm. So you go from like this little 70s jam sesh again into a modern Broadway number, what you would expect. And I think Tom Kitt did such a great job of like blending and... um showcasing all of these elements so giving people what they expect from almost famous but also what they expect from a broadway show totally and i had said this online but you know reading the reviews for almost famous Mm. were so sad and disappointing because the show itself is 
phenomenal. Like I would also rate it 10 out of 10. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And I had no complaints. Someone had said in one of the reviews that the show itself, you should just stay home and watch the movie because it's just the movie. But it really felt like it stood on its own, in my opinion. It really, it kept some of those classic moments that you would expect to be in a musical and stage adaptation of Almost Famous. And it stayed true to that as well. But there was so much in it that I was like, oh my God, this is what I wanted to see in the movie. It really took us deeper into the roots of Penny Lane Mm. and Russell and William Miller and the band it really brought us more into the band's story of how they are all in this divide together i loved Mm -hmm. that but yeah like you don't have to be a massive fan of the movie to still appreciate this show so i don't know where people were coming from with the whole stay home and watch the movie i genuinely agree i have a friend a buddy of mine who's going to new york and he was asking me like what we saw what i'd recommend kind of thing And he's never seen Almost Famous. So I told him, I said, you could go in completely blind and you would still have a great time. You would understand everything. But if you were a fan of the movie going in, you would still have everything from the movie that you wanted. Like, I think we were talking about this with Mean Girls, where kind of it felt like a bit of a tug of war between Mm -hmm. fitting content from the original film in and also trying to be an original. But this, this, I think, succeeds in every element as to what that sort of adaptation is supposed to do. And you're entirely right. It adds so much depth to the characters through the element of being live and on stage, which, whoa, that's what musical theater does. It was just a really good use of the genre of musical theater and, you know, the subgenre of musicals adapted from movies, I find the actors who play like the band members in the movie so annoying. I find them difficult to connect to, but I didn't have that problem in the show. Everybody just had this level of charisma and added depth. It's a great example of why reviews really kind of don't matter in the Mm -hmm. sense that the people who reviewed the show, like they went once to review it, right? But when you listen to the audience, when you look at the following on social media, when you look at people who are actually fans of the show, the people who are buying tickets, they're loving it. And that's kind of what matters more than a review. So yeah, anyway, I also have to say that they kept in a lot of the they kept in a lot of the classic songs from the movie as well, which was cool because mm. some of the scenes you just can't have an original song there. You can't. I mean, it's just too iconic to not have those songs from the film in there. So they did have something for they had Ramble On in the musical, which worked great. Um mm-hmm. They also did Tiny Dancer, of course, because ha- mm. you could not do an original song there. You couldn't change the song. I'm so glad they were able to do that. The scene was perfect. Mm. It was beautiful. It was what you witnessed in the movie, but on stage. They did it but so better. great. It was beautiful. Um, they also had, which is maybe my favorite scene in the entire musical, they had Penny Lane singing the wind uh the cat stevens song which 
oh my god like that is the moment in the movie that I always wait for and my mom always waits for and it's so perfect and the way they captured it on stage worked so well with her and she had the rose and it transitioned into the whole um selling penny lane and the band-aids to humble pie it worked so well so i really think if you're a fan of the film or if you've never even heard of almost famous before go see the show i don't think you will regret it it is a really fun night out of the theater and you know what i saw a lot of people tearing up during it it's a story about family and i think that's beautiful people talk about like oh do we really need another musical adapted from a movie on broadway at its core, Almost Famous is a story about how music brings people together and creates chosen family. And is that not what Broadway is all about? Totally. And not to mention, the story is really about Cameron Crowe. This was like his life story, right? He just adapted it into Almost Famous. So the William Miller character is basically Cameron Crowe. And I think that's so fun. And Cameron is there, like, all the time seeing his show. I think it's a really special moment for Broadway right now. Oh, my God. Tom Kitt was there. Yeah. We totally walked past Tom Kitt. We did. And (laughs) we literally held eye contact. I stared at him because I recognized him and did a double take, and he caught my double take. And we were, like, in the process of leaving the theater. So we were kind of being, like, pushed out. So I couldn't stop, but I just stared at him. (laughs) And he noticed me staring, and I was like, this is really awkward, man, but... I love you. So, Tom Kidd, if you're listening. (laughs) Also, at the end of the show, Katie bent down and was like, I love your dress. And I was like, (laughs) I felt like a Band-Aid. When you're in the front row, you really feel like you're in the show. It's great. You feel like a Band-Aid, yeah. (laughs) Um, We got to talk, I think, about some of the performances before we move on. Oh, my God, yes, we do. This cast is stacked. I think right off the bat, we need to talk about Celia as oh, Penny Lane. I can't. Holy crap. I can't bring myself to do it again because I'm just emotionally wrecked every time I think of uh, Celia's performance as Penny. I mean, insane. Like, Incredible. I genuinely couldn't see anybody else no. doing what she's doing. No, I agree. She has that, like, she's very magnetic. Yes. Despite that kind of, like, airy Penny Lane thing, she's very grounded. So much. Like, her performance, oh my god, if this woman does not get a Tony nomination, I'm going to throw myself under a bus. Speaking of Tony noms, if Casey Likes doesn't get a Tony nom, I will fight. Amen. He is so good. Like, you need to be able to root for William. You need to be able to, like, fall in love with him because it's his story, yeah. right? And he's just so charismatic. He's so sweet. And, like, from the minute he walks on stage and is like, yeah, I want to be a rock and roll journalist, it's you're like, <laughs> right away, you're like, you do it. Go get him. Go get him, baby. <laughs> I think he's, like, 21 as well. This is his Broadway debut. Insane. <sighs> Insane. Insane. I'm excited for the cast recording because, wow. I can't believe we have to wait till March. I know. Like, just, I know. Just give it to us now. We deserve it. Um, who else? Chris Drew Wood. Geeling. <laughs> you talk about Chris first. All righty. Chris Wood. Incredible. Um, not understanding, once again, all of the mean words said online. I really don't know what show y'all are going to see because... Yeah. <laughs> Are there two almost famouses on Broadway? I thought like- Chris Wood was the perfect Russell. And once again, 
paid a great homage to Billy, who played the role uh, in the film, but also very much made it his own. Chris Wood really did make me like Russell. Um, exactly. And I also want to yell at Russell. Like, you know, he really played it very well, brought his own twist to the character that uh, I've been watching on screen since I was a baby. So, I mean, what can I say? I thought he was incredible. And we got to meet him afterwards. He is so, so He's sweet. So nice. So nice. Took his time to meet everybody. And yeah, just a wonderful performer. Uh, Drew Geeling was. Oh, oh my, my God. God hilarious I listen I only really knew about Drew from Waitress sure so like I did not know he could sing that way mm-hmm. I did not know this man had like m- face melting rock skrelt in him oh my lord and his wig is beautiful he is he so was just, funny he's hilarious and again you talk think about the roles like Russell and Jeff like they're not great people. No. And in the movie, like, it's easy to hate them. But, oh, my God, I was literally waiting for Drew to come back on stage and do the next funny thing or so sing brilliant. the next crazy thing he was going to sing. Like, I think he's my new, like, onstage favorite. I think I told him that. I was like, yeah. I think you're my new favorite because it was just so creative. Every time he came on, I was like, what is this man going to do next? All of the comedy was funny without being cheap and cheesy. Like it all yep. just was so good. Friends, this was a 10 out of 10 for me again. Me too. It was again, it was a t- 10 out of 10. We we picked good shows. We really did. We really did. <gasps> we really did. And honestly, like we both kind of left and we were like, we should have left a show open so we could have gone to see Almost Famous <laughs> again. again. <laughs> like, I would go see it again. Yeah, we'll be back. I'm cheap. I don't know when. We we will be back because Emily Schulteis wasn't on, uh, our buddy there. So we were Her so understudy sad. was super great. She was incredible. She was so funny. Um, I would have loved to see Em in this role, though. It's perfect for her. All right. Moving on. The next show we saw was probably the show I had the most fun at. Really? Okay. This is interesting. I'm excited to talk about this. Because I walked out of the theater after seeing this show and I had like no voice from screaming my face off. We saw Moulin Rouge. Yes. If you didn't guess already. (laughs) And she turned rouge. I did. I had so much freaking fun. And this is why musicals adapted from movies work and why jukebox musicals work. Because everyone in that audience was having just as much fun as me on a rainy Saturday afternoon. Did you notice how many people were crying? It wasn't just us at this show. I know. Right? And like, we all knew what was going to happen. Like, I loved the film Moulin Rouge so much. I put off seeing the show for this long. Um... Because of how much I love the movie. So like to go see the show was a big deal for me. And I loved every minute. I really did not want to see this show when it first opened because I didn't like a lot of the music changes that were made and added. And I didn't like that they touched Elephant uh, Love Medley. But seeing it live is a totally different thing. I think it's one of those shows where you have to experience it live to fully appreciate what it is. And what it is is a really fun night at the theater and there's a lot of tricks going on um i mean the performers were incredible we had the alternate for 
Satine, Satine. and Derek Klenna was on as Christian. And I think everyone else was the main cast currently. Yeah. Yeah. I think. But yeah, they were all incredible. And it was just, it was so much fun. And it was so cheesy in the way you want a jukebox musical to be. Yeah. Like, you know, they're talking and she's like, I think you better shut up and dance with me. And everything stops. There's a spotlight on Christian. (laughs) He turns and he looks at the audience and he's like, so don't you dare look back. He starts singing the song, shut up and dance with me. Like, that is exactly what I want in a jukebox musical. No notes. It was great. I'm curious how they do it on the tour to make it feel like... It does uh, in a sit-down house because, I mean, the entire theater is decked out from head to toe. They have the elephant. They have the uh, the windmill thingy. What's it called? The windmill. The windmill. There but you go. the red windmill actually is the Moulin Rouge yes, itself. Yes, yes, like yes, exactly. Moulin same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah red mill. Yeah, so they had that as well. <coughs> um the entire theater is done up in red lighting. I mean, it's just so it's much It's really fun. like you're stepping into the movie. It is. That's what you said when we first entered. I remember that. Yeah. And like for me, like I used to come home from school and I'd watch Moulin Rouge, but I'd turn it off once Christian and Satine reunite at the end before she dies so that it was a happy <laughs> ending. But like, so getting able, being able to walk into the house and like walk into that world of Baz Luhrmann fantasy. Mm. Totally my shit. 10 out of 10. Again, no notes because what was cheesy or goofy or whatever was supposed to be. Like, you know, it was aware of itself. Yeah. No, for sure. For me, I just would have wanted more love connection between Satine and Christian. I think it moved very fast and I got a little bit confused on what was going on. Like, I understood the whole three-way love story thing with the Duke and all that. but. I would have replaced maybe half a song with just a bit more character depth for their relationship. But again, I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. For a love story, I would have just wanted more of their love story to feel more sad at the end. Instead, I was mostly connecting with um, the song. And then I was Satine dying <laughs> and like him grieving that because I just didn't feel like they really loved each other you know who had insane chemistry though Mm, nini our nini and santiago incredible i was like this is hot yeah (laughs) yeah chemistry Um, for the um i don't even think it was an actor thing i really think it was just the characters the way they were written for this version yeah but i feel like that's also like kind of how it is in the movie sure like you know you get sure like Although I guess in the movie you have a bit more time because it shows like Mm -hmm. a montage of time passing, whereas in the musical you just have to kind of assume time has passed. Well, he does say, remember, like, um, days moved forward or whatever, and then years or whatever. Yeah, he mentions it. Yeah, so you know that time does pass, but still I just didn't feel anything for them together. I don't know. Um, curious what you all think on that. Maybe you feel the I mean, same way. Maybe we were still like, crying at the end. We were still crying uh, over Satine dying and him losing her. So anyways, let us know your opinion on that because maybe you feel the same. Maybe you're like, what? But, are you crazy, Chrissy? They were totally in love. But I love it because it's like the shortest cry ever because by the time you're finished crying about the fact that she's dead, it's the, the encore starts. Yeah. And like one thing about me <laughs> is... 
when there's an encore on Broadway or if any tour, I'm going to be on my feet screaming the whole time. I'm going to be clapping. Oh. I'm going to be singing along. You like, can't put Hey Ya in an encore and expect me to like sit still. I was up grooving my little thing. Probably looked like a little chicken flapping around there. But it was great. It was so good. But even then, it starts with those iconic, like, oh, yes, yes. And snaps for Lady Marmalade. And interacting with all like, of us. Oh, I loved it. I'm it like, fun. give it to me now. And, like, the call and response with, like, yeah. when you would be like, yes, you can, can, can. And the audience would do it back. Totally. I was, like, I was in my element living <laughs> my best life. And the dancers in this show, they must hurt so badly. I don't know how they do it. I was sore watching them, yeah. but like I wish I was a good dancer because that's the kind of show I would want to do. Yeah, no, they were like everybody in the cast was just phenomenal, and yeah, like you said, the ensemble. I think they really carry that show. Just amazing. They do. I kept getting distracted by the dancers because I was like, "Oh my god, another split, girl." Yeah. Um, my rating would be seven and a half out of ten, maybe. I'd still give it a 10 out of 10. That's I had fun. Fine. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, if I'm just rating the show itself, I would go 7.5 out of 10 just because I want it more from Satine and Christian. But yeah. If I was being fun. like picky, maybe I'd say 4.5 stars instead of 5 stars there you go. just because it's not like maybe as super well constructed as something mm-hmm. like maybe Almost Famous or Wicked. Sure. But that being said, it's a jukebox musical and like... One of the better that, ones for sure. Not that it's an excuse. Like there are jukebox musicals with great books and stuff. Sure. But like something like Moulin Rouge, you're going to have fun. You're not going to see a Shakespearean play. No, you know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Although I think Shakespeare would approve of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Hey, star-crossed lovers for That's fair, love. and you could feel that they oh. had a lot of Shakespearean elements to it. Lots of puns, sure. a tragic ending. William Shakespeare would go feral for Moulin Rouge. She's probably upset he didn't write it. Instead, he got stuck with Anne Juliet. Oh, no. Hey. She did it. William Shakespeare would also have loved Anne <laughs> Juliet. He, he would. would. He's in his grave. He's going, why didn't I write a musical? He's saying, why didn't I get the Moulin Rouge musical and not the Anne Juliet musical? But you know what? I'm not here for Anne Juliet slander. We can't all be best musical winners. (laughs) We'll see in a few months what happens. (laughs) So then our next one was the last musical of the trip. And for me, it was tied in my number one slot with almost famous although i don't know maybe i liked this one just a bit more i thought it was brilliant we saw mj the musical which uh oh my god oh my god so i as soon as the cast recording came out for this i was like no i hate it i don't like this at all and i had no interest and i was ready to be like bash it uh to my own little self because i really thought it was weird and I didn't understand the concept of it at the time, and I didn't like the song choices they chose for the show until I got to understand what it's all about. And now I am like, this is the best show I have maybe seen on Broadway in a very long time, if not ever. I freaking fell in love. I was uh, quite sad. I really wanted to see Miles uh, Frost as MJ 
we did have an understudy on who was oh my god brilliant as well I don't he was like, very oh very my god. good incredible and looked so much like MJ that it was freaky at times I was like what is this yeah that threw me MJ? off too yeah it was in- crazy crazy look like so cool um yeah so right away it's kind of uh you have that thing where you have performers on stage behind the curtain uh, it was like a sheer curtain so you could see them a scrim a scrim thank you the cool thing about the scrim projected on it were mm. like notes that Michael Jackson himself had made yes about like work he was creating and like stuff like oh like learn this Bob Fosse thing yeah. or this or that like so that was really really neat now Chrissy and I had two very different experiences at this show but like I think maybe this wasn't the musical for me but it was so clever and really well done yeah I think it's like If you aren't a massive fan of MJ, I don't know how much you will fully enjoy it. I think you need to know a lot more about his backstory going in. You can't expect to go in and think you're going to see like MJ from Jackson 5 era till his death. This musical really focused on MJ during a certain point of his life, reflecting on the years before. So you don't get everything, Mm -hmm. but what you do get in the MJ musical is very interesting. You get a lot um, about the abuse he went through with his father. You get a lot of the story about his relationship with his mother. And it's all really told through flashbacks as he is rehearsing for his dangerous tour in 1994, is it? I think. 92. 92. So in 92, oh my God, the dancers in this show are just... The dancers in this show, holy Moses. And again, we're sitting pretty close. Like, yeah, the muscles, like, you know, just from like a totally like objective point, like you see a Broadway dancer and you're like, wow, like they have great muscles. But like when you're watching them dance, you're seeing like... Everything move. Everything. The thing about this choreography is that... It's stylized in the way that Michael Jackson's dance Mm. is stylized. So everything, it has intention, but it looks very fluid. Yes. So those are two like huge challenges because you're telling your brain something needs to be sharp and controlled, but it also has to look very smooth through the body. So I really enjoyed watching the dancers um, through each number. It was also just, it was kind of a cool way to do a jukebox bio musical yeah, thing. Yeah, I agree. I, f- I mean, I think maybe I prefer like the basic, like from the beginning and go mm-hmm. or like beautiful where like she does her flashback, but then it's linear um, just because I think that's a little more accessible for people who aren't, like you said, huge fans of the artist. Sure. I think MJ maybe has just too big of a life story. He does. To capture in a full in like a almost three hour musical type of thing I think this was maybe the best way they could do it unlike something in the West End like Thriller Live which was um a bunch of artists just singing MJ songs pretty much so this you actually did get to have someone playing MJ you had three people playing MJ so our baby MJ has more talent in his little finger than I have had in my body, in my whole 25 mm. years of existence. Yeah. And 
you know, like sometimes child actors, like they're in the show just to show like, oh, this person was once a child. Right. Uh-uh. Baby MJ carries like the first half of act one. Along and, with middle MJ too. And they are and like. And then middle MJ too does like, pr- does a lot in act one and in act two. So like that was kind of nice to see how it was split evenly in a way. But I also liked that when the little ones were on stage, I'm saying little, middle Michael isn't little, but you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other versions of himself, the older, the present day Michael was always on stage like watching it. Yes. So you could see it was his memory. Yes. So there was a lot of cool stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, also, though, we were sat very close to the speaker, so I had a hard time yeah. hearing like... Um, some of the dialogue and stuff so that might also just be where we were sat yeah um, like because you know a good Michael Jackson song that bass kicks in and I could not hear anything else yeah it was really for uh, the opening number of beat it which was like whoo I could feel my heart pounding from the the speakers it was crazy but besides that it wasn't like too bad afterwards but that opening was real rough on the body shaking yeah Or like if there was moments where there was dialogue, Mm. but there was underscoring. Okay. I had a very hard time hearing the dialogue. Okay. But that's also, I think, just where we were sitting and like my ears. Maybe. Um, Yeah. I I kind of wanted to like. Hey, I think I can't really remember, but I I do believe that I got most of the dialogue looking back. Yeah. But gosh, there was some. Like I said, you really have to go in kind of knowing a lot about MJ because there is a moment where, I guess, spoiler alert, MJ filming the Pepsi commercial happens really fast. You don't really know it's happening. And then all of a sudden there's like a light explosion. And then um, you kind of find out that he got his head burnt while filming the commercial. But you don't really I don't think it really leads up to like, hey, you're going to film a commercial. You know what I mean? Like it just happens. I mean, because it's during, like, a little medley of songs. It is. So at the beginning of the songs, they're like, we're doing a tour in a Pepsi commercial, and then it ends with the explosion. Okay. So, like, it does get there. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, again, like, you might smart. miss it if you didn't know to look for it. Yeah, and it kind of leaves us off, or I will, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take this from the Pepsi part, because it kind of brings us to where his addiction to pain meds Began and was leading into, uh, which we know ultimately is a factor that took his life, sadly. And I think that's what I didn't like about this musical is because I know in real life where Michael Jackson's story ended. Mm. Um, you know, so I just felt like extremely sad watching you know, the flashbacks to him as a kid or him as like the artist and the perfectionist going over and over to get it right. When like, you know, the world would have loved him no matter what he did, Mm -hmm. you know, like at that point in his career. And just as we're going through, just I think for me, knowing where his story ended, I really had a hard time watching and committing to the musical and getting fully invested but that's also me with like I really don't like watching sad movies and stuff on tv because I know how it ends Mm -hmm. yeah like I didn't find uh I didn't find it dwelled too much on that they they did have moments of like Michael needing his pain medicine to get through a a performance because his father was pushing him and he also didn't want to let down his brothers who weren't making, I assume, as much income mm-hmm. as him because 
you know, he split from the Jackson Five essentially and and was a solo artist for a while and they didn't have that success that their brother did. Um so I did kind of enjoy seeing that aspect that I just wouldn't have put like two and two together just thinking of MJ uh by myself in my bedroom type of thing. Um but yeah, it was great and at the end of the show they had this thriller number <laughs> that knocked okay, me this is one off. of the coolest things it took me off my damn seat because okay here's the thing we had just seen moulin rouge uh near the aisle seats where the cast walks through and i was effing convinced that the thriller people were gonna come after me because i had an aisle seat and i was like that's it they're coming out they're gonna come after me and i was ready to hide but thank god that they did not come off the stage and i could appreciate them for what they were from uh four rows back (laughs) it was really cool and i don't want to give anything away but the way that they structured the thriller number in which characters they incorporated in it yeah was very impressive like just spoiler alert per- so <laughs> all of the uh dancers had a mask on that kind of replicated mj's face but a zombie version of mj um and it does begin with baby mj having a moment with his father and then he sings a soft version of like it's close to me night and his father begins to transform into like uh what would you it's call a, it a shadow man thank you I a think. shadow man so you see him walking away and his body's like uh transforming contorting, contorting. he's twisting oh. and he has this costume change it's which is nuts. very very neat mm. um and yeah and then they go into the dance but it really kind of oh and the whole place lights up all of a sudden and it's a big like uh it's circus. like hell yeah, like a night circus. It was insane. And, you know what it is? Is it is, it's what it's showing you, the audience, or how I interpreted it. I was like, it takes this iconic song we all know and love, but it really reframed it as like you know Michael Jackson battling his inner his demons, own demons, yeah, and his past. And I was like, holy shit, this. This exact number, I wish I could bottle it because I know. that is like the kind of elevated theater experience that I expect. Like, mm-hmm. well, not like expect, like that sounds harsh, but like that is kind of like what we should all kind of be aiming for. With this, sh- yeah, I, think. I like, agree. Because there was no way you walk into a Michael Jackson thing you see thriller on the set list you're like oh we're gonna get a little throwback right. to be like just like mj singing vi- original whatever. video because like the video itself is a huge part in his career so and history yeah and history so you're thinking oh okay that's where where they're gonna do thriller they bring it in to be this like 11 o'clock number it was insane and guys. it's mind-blowing they totally like turned everything we thought upside down and it was brilliant truly yeah. brilliant yeah, um, another number that you really enjoyed was at the around the top of Act Two. They had Bob. Yes. Bob yeah, go ahead, take it away. Yes. So I forget what song it was. Smooth Criminal. I think it was Smooth Criminal. Yeah, because it opened with Billie Jean and then it went into Smooth Criminal. But in between, uh, Michael Jackson was talking about his dance idols. So he had Bob Fosse, Bob Fosse, Fred, Fred Astaire. Astaire. And then there was a set of twins whose names I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But like, 
people he grew up watching on TV and admiring. And so as he's like mimicking their steps, you slowly start to see them blend together to become that dance style that we associate with Michael Jackson. And then it goes into Smooth Criminal. So it was very, very neat. I didn't know that Bob Fosse inspired him. Like, that was something I never knew. But when you look at his movement, now knowing Bob Fosse inspired him, I'm like, how did I not see that before? So much of this is Fosse-esque. Why didn't I make that connection? Anyway, I thought that was super interesting. And that's kind of going into the show. I figured, you know, you know, I wasn't sure how I would feel about it, but I was like, I'm going to love the music and I'm probably going to learn something new about Michael Jackson. And mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> What was really funny, too, is the night before at the hotel, I was like, I'm so excited for MJ. I only wish they had my favorite Michael Jackson song, Heal the World, in it. And that night as a special encore, they did Heal the World. For Broadway Cares, Equity Fight Yeah. We also had a great moment where there was two new cast members joining and it was their Broadway debuts. That was very powerful to see. That was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I'll never forget watching them take their bows and... uh have their special debut moment. The Michael Jackson musical had this amazing mega mix at the end and again featured everybody and got the audience involved because when you're at a musical like Michael Jackson, I know the girl beside me, I know she was just dying. She was dying to get up and dance the entire show. She was having like the best night of her life (laughs) and I was so happy for her. But it's that type of music that makes you want to dance in your seat. Exactly. So they get Everyone you up and dancing like, at the end with yeah, the Megamix. It was great. Everybody is instantly up the minute the Megamix starts because they yep. know it's their time. Yeah. That was a 10 out of 10 for me as well. I just, I freaking loved it, man. I think I'd really give it good. I would give it a 7 out of 10 because structurally and musically and dance wise, it was brilliant. It just, I just don't think it was like the kind of show for me. If that makes sense. Like, It isn't a show I'd go see again, but I'd recommend it to somebody else. So on our trip, we also went to the Museum of Broadway, Broadway. which is a new interactive exhibit in Times Square on uh, 45th Street, I believe. And yes, holy cow, friends. I didn't know what we were walking into. I was like, this is going to be really cool. That I knew. I knew we would have an excellent time, but it exceeded my expectations so much me too like I wanted to move in like I my bags are packed still I'm ready to go for that I'm surprised I'm not still living there um I would have slept in the room with all the mirrors or like the corn I don't know Jesus that's spooky (laughs) all I ever needed was the music the mirror and the museum of Broadway y'all there you go there you go It was really interesting in a lot of different ways because the first like two thirds of it, what it does is it takes you on this interactive timeline through Broadway's history, starting with things like Showboat in Oklahoma and the Zig, well, Zigfeld Follies, but Showboat in Oklahoma, like where we consider the modern Broadway musical to have begun and then taking it all the way up to present day shows. So, you know, we passed through some West Side Story Chorus line, cabaret, there was even some stuff from Hamilton. So once it took you on that big journey, it brought you to the last little bit where it took you through like the process of a Broadway show. So from its very beginning, like the idea, all the way to getting it on stage, it had like a whole 
backstage area where it showed you what it was like to be backstage working on a show. And along the way, it had all these cool props and letters and wonderful historical things, um, as well as little immersive like photo opportunities, which we love a good photo op. We do. And if you're like me and you kind of get nervous that you'll be pressured into taking a picture when you go somewhere, you don't have to do the photo ops if you don't want to. There is so much there to see and do. I read online that someone was like, it's just a fancy, expensive photo op place. Bullshit. (laughs) Bullshit, friends. You got to go experience it for yourself because... No, it's not a photo op Instagram place. There is so much in there, so much fun history to be learned and to see in person. And there were so many cool things. Like, I think one of my favorite things is that they had um, art installations as part of each room. And my favorite art installation, they had one, and it was all chandelier beads. And each bead represented one performance of Phantom of the Opera on Broadway with beads going to their closing date that was originally for February. And when you stood and looked at this art installation a certain way, you could see a phantom mask. Now the artist will be coming back to add more beads because, well, the show has extended. But I thought that was like so cool. So it's like part history museum, part photo op, part art museum. It's just this overall like celebration of the craft. Um, I think the only thing I would change about our time there is like to have gone first thing in the morning. So we had all day. (laughs) Yeah, you really need to go at a time where you're not where you know you're not rushing to see a show afterwards because there's just way too much to see. And um, there's a lot of fun things that are on the wall for you to read. If you're rushing, you don't get the opportunity to read everything. And I wish that we could have done that. But Next time for sure. We're definitely going back. For like oh, yeah, we're for sure percent. going back. We're going back. We're going like first thing in the morning so we can go over every room with a fine tooth comb. But like the level of detail that the wonderful, wonderful people who uh, created this have put in, um, not just into, of course, the exhibits and the art installations and the rooms and the layout, but like even the way the staff are trained. The staff are so knowledgeable. They're so welcoming. Every different room you go into, there is a staff member saying, hey, welcome. This is our Ziegfeld room. Oh, here's a fun fact about this cool thing we have here. Or my favorite part of this room is this. And it's just so awesome to have people who are working in the museum be so interactive with you. And of course, with so much going on, they point out like little things that maybe you might not have noticed. So definitely pick their brains. Totally. And our lovely friend Christian works there. So it was nice to uh, see him in person because we met just before the pandemic online and then didn't get to meet him until now. So that was very, very cool. Shout out to Christian. It was great seeing you. (laughs) Anyway, we would definitely recommend Museum of Broadway to all of you. Like if you listen to our podcast, you would love the Museum of Broadway. Absolutely. And if you don't listen to our podcast, but you like musicals, you should go to the Museum of Broadway and listen to our podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly that. But that wasn't the only museum that we went to because across the street, they have a brand new museum. Uh, interactive museum as well 
called Rise and Why. And boy, did we rise. We rose way up in the sky over there. I did not rise. I plummeted <laughs> straight to hell. I think I left my heart on the seat at Rise because, okay. Oh, poor so- you. It was your idea. So Chrissy's poor- like... We- <laughs> Yeah, poor me. You threatened to smother me with a pillow while we were up in the air. I have no memory of that. (laughs) And I apologized for it. (laughs) Chrissy is like, we need to go to this other museum. It's by the Museum of Broadway. It's about New York. And then they have a cool like ride at the end. And I was like, no, no rides, no capes. Don't do it. But I let her convince me into it. And I am never listening to her ever again. Before we left, she was like, you know what? I'm going to do the ride with you. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, This will be very fun. So (laughs) I did not know what we were getting ourselves into fully. But anyways, you go through this museum. It takes you through New York City from uh, the very start all the way until, well, right now. So there's uh, rooms that look like a subway station. There's one that is like a movie. Uh, television, uh, music, <laughs> Broadway, Broadway, and then you go upstairs where it's kind of like um, there was like an actor there pretending he was like a radio, uh, what do you call that? Radio host. He was like a radio host and he was telling us about how it's 1958 and there's like a storm coming and we have to take a service elevator. So we get into this elevator thing and it like pretends to break down. The lights are out. I am now like about to pee myself in this fake elevator setup. And then we exit. Chrissy keeps looking over at me. She's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm not okay. <laughs> I was asking if she was okay because I was like, at least if one of us feels safe right now, <laughs> she was not okay. Anyway, so then you go upstairs in the elevator. It's like, oh, we're working. Yep, dee dee. After I like already paid myself. So then we go into uh, this little room that takes us onto a ride. Now, the ride itself is very reminiscent of Soren in Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, so you sit down on that and you fly over New York City essentially on this sort of, what do you call it? Like a ski lift, right? A ski lift, yeah. It's like a ski lift and you're over this big screen that uh, makes you feel like you're flying over all sections of New York flying City. Flying and dropping. Uh, yeah, and like swerving. kind of. It's not I get really sick. doing that. It's really just tilting you forward and backwards and to the side. It yeah, gives but the, the illusion tilting. Of Tilting combined with what the screen is doing. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes you, no bueno. It makes you feel like you are really flying. Um, or dying. Or dying. Your choice. And then there's, <laughs> there's water that falls on you when you're over the uh, Hudson. It just, it's, I hated that. I hated it. It's very it. cool. It's a lot for uh, your senses. It's a sensory overload. I think we were both ready to just pass out at the It was end. like the worst half hour of my life. I know it was only probably like The ride like was two like minutes. a minute. <laughs> it felt like an hour. That's fair. It did feel uh, pretty long when you're up there because you're like, oh my God, is it ever going to stop? But I had a lot of fun just like laughing with Jocelyn. <laughs> uh, laughing at Jocelyn. <laughs> I had tears rolling down my cheeks from laughing so hard because she was threatening to like friggin throw me in the river pretty much she was ready 
to whip me off the ride and unbuckle my belt. I mean, I really thought I was going to. I was like, I don't remember much of the ride. I blacked <laughs> it out. But I was like crying. And I remember praying. I don't know if I was praying out loud. But I remember just saying, like, God, please get me through this. Like, Yeah, you're asking for anyone who would listen pretty much to help okay. you. All right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but no, it was a very cool experience as well. And if you are into that type of thing, highly recommend you do it because because there's really nowhere else where you will get that experience uh, unless you take one of those helicopter things. But if you don't like rides, go to the Museum of Broadway. <laughs> or be like us and do both because they're totally different, but very cool things. Both yeah, Rise, cool. Rise was pretty cool, but I, I, I should have just stayed off the ride. That would the have ride been, was a lot. That would have been better for me. I also didn't like the minute it became like an immersive thing. I was like, I hate it this. It was weird. Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be immersive. Like and it that. also got like darker in the rooms. And this is why I don't do wax museums, because when things are mm. dark and shadowy and cramped, I start to like yeah nope out we don't not to like toot the museum of broadway's horn too much but i liked that their museum space was so well lit and like there was space it didn't feel cramped it wasn't like super dark for any effects or anything i was like this is good i feel safe here (laughs) both of the museums also had the staggered arrival type of thing where you choose a time online or at the box office and that's your set time to go through and you're only with maybe like a handful of people at a time, which was nice. Um, so you're not feeling like you're crammed in somewhere at all, especially the Museum of Broadway. Like we really didn't interact with like more than four people at a time when we were there. Yeah. And most of I the people that. we interacted with were people who worked there, which worked is really there. nice. Yeah. But yeah, we had a great trip. I had a very, very good time at the Disney store because we no longer have one uh, in Canada. And I think a lot of places closed their Disney stores in America too during the pandemic, but I just love a good Disney store. I spent way too much of my money in there. I wasn't expecting to spend that much in a Disney store, (laughs) but some of us just shop and assume prices in our head and then get back to their hotel room and check the tag and you're like, oh, that sweater was $90 and I thought it was 60 But I have no regrets. I really don't because I'm wearing it right now. It's very comfy. It's, it's very cute. It's the 50th anniversary Disney sweater and uh, I'm a big fan of it. It looks good on you. Thank you. You're I welcome. sure hope so for 129 Canadian. On our trip, we decided to go visit John Larson's apartment at 508. It's where he wrote Boho Days About. It's where he would spend years writing Rent. And uh, tragically, eventually he passed away in that apartment and that's where he had his final moments. It was a lot of emotions being there. I I have been to a lot of uh, the places in New York City over the years where it's like um, a rent place or a John Larson place. I've been to the Life Cafe, but I had never gone specifically to 508. So I was like, you know what, since so much of our season this year, uh, focused around John Larson and we did all the Tick Tick Boom press stuff. Let's go. Let's uh, pay our respects and thank him for all of his uh, amazing work that has inspired us as well and and inspired all of uh, all of you who listened to the episode and 
fell in love with the Tick, Tick, Boom film or, or fell in love with Rent back in uh, 96. So it was a very special moment for us. And you can see some of those photos and a little reel that we put together on our Instagram page. But yeah, it was it was very peaceful. And the sun came out and it peeked out on his floor of the apartment only. So I thought that was a nice little welcome sort from John. Yeah, it was just a really beautiful, like, crisp, beautiful morning uh, just to kind of go and stand. The street was very quiet. So, like, you know, we had a couple minutes to just kind of stand outside and take some photos and, like, take a few minutes just to kind of, I don't know, I keep thinking of it in my head as saying hi and thank you because that, that's what it was, that's really. That's what it was, yeah. And uh, it was really nice to kind of just take our time, not feel rushed, and uh, just just have those few minutes. So, yeah, we wanted to share that with you because it really did feel kind of like a full circle moment for us. Absolutely, yeah. So I think this might be our last episode of season three, although we might have a little, you know, holiday gift for all of you. We'll see what happens. We might have a bonus. We so. might have a little bonus episode, but if not then we want to thank all of you from the bottom of our hearts for spending another awesome podcast season with us. And this it, season was it a meant year. So much. This season, we took a whole year to do this season. We decided let's go from January to uh, mid-December. So it was pretty much a year. And I think it was our most exciting season yet, for sure. We did a lot of different topics that... I never thought we would do with a lot of really interesting experiences. Like you mentioned, Matt O'Grady, that was such a big highlight for us that I don't think either of us ever thought we would uh, be able to do back when we started season one. No, there's just there's been so much that has happened that like I never thought would have you know been possible when we first started kind of the podcast. And like, yeah, the fact that we're three seasons in and y'all are still here. I'm genuinely surprised um and honored i mean we were looking at our spotify wrapped oh my god <gasps> i don't know why but maybe it's just because when chrissy and i do this it's just her and i but i always think the people yeah. listening like maybe it's the same like 25 to 30 people yeah yeah yeah. i was so wrong i was looking at our spotify <laughs> wrapped and i was like what yeah no it was there's really so many of you yeah. wonderful people who um Come back every come episode. Come back every episode and, and hang yeah. out with us. Wow, we are so extremely blessed. So we're, we'll be taking our little hiatus. We usually kind of take off part of December, and then I think we'll take off some of January as well. Yeah, I think we're beginning back uh, February, I believe we said, season four. Yeah. February. You season heard it four here. in February. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. We have some exciting stuff planned for season four. We do. Um. We're keeping it under wraps for now, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, we we really covered a lot this season. We also went to New York for the first time since we started a podcast. Yeah. And got to do some Broadway stuff there, create some content for season four. So, and we yeah, have it's merch. very exciting. We have, we have merch. merchandise now. You can find that in our link tree. And you helped us so much with our Kickstarter to fund the upcoming season as well and helped us get a, a website, which is so cool, uh, breakingthecurtain.com. Go check it out. Yeah. We are constantly in the process of updating it 
and we have a whole makeover coming for season four. It's going to be so much fun. Have a good holiday season and a very happy new year. But you know what? We will still be on Instagram. So stay connected with us over there. And we hope to chat with you really soon. Again, just a huge thank you to all of you for keeping up with us. We can't wait to meet you back here. Same time, same place for season four. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. Together we are Breaking the Curtain, wishing you a very happy holiday season and a wonderful new year. Here we are, signing off, season three. Bye. Bye.